morning. So this morning, we're finishing off a small, short series of sermons on our ECC Touchstones of Welcome, Transformation, and Presence. The touchstones are important because if, if we're going to truly lean into our mission statement, we're going to need to uh, reconcile these things together. The touchstones teach us how to do that. So in other words, if we're going to uh, uh, learn to know God better and help others to know God, then we need to practice the touchstone of welcome, welcoming one another and welcoming, welcoming strangers to help them come to know God. Uh, if we're going to practice the touchstone of transformation, then we follow Jesus and we help others to follow Jesus. If we're going to practice the touchstone of presence, God's presence in us and through us in the world, well, then we are pursuing God's purposes in the world. So for the rest of this school year, um, we're going to visit uh, each of these touchstones in a 10-week uh, sermon series uh, throughout the year. Next week, we launch into our fall series uh, built around the touchstone of welcome and around passages and themes that come from uh, the book Love Over Fear and engage in particular the theme of love of enemy. Now, that book is by Dan White Jr., and I encourage you to read it as we go along. Once we have welcomed God, been welcomed into God's kingdom, and once we have begun the journey of transformation, we can become the very presence of God in the world. We can become the presence of God in the world. We can recapture the role that was designed for us way back in the beginning at creation in Genesis chapter 1. We can reclaim and have restored within us the image of God so that we can mirror forth God's character, God's love, God's justice, God's mercy into the world. For transformation restores Christ's image in us day by day with ever-increasing measures of the glory of God. Poet, novelist, and essayist Wendell Berry wrote a poem back in 1999, and I'm going to read a portion of it you. That's a bit of anathema to just read a portion of a poem and try to talk you through it, but we're going to do that because it, don't, it gets off in some territory that is hard to understand if you're just listening to it. So I want to read part of this poem for you. It's called The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. He says, Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay, want more of everything ready-made, be afraid to know your neighbors and to die, and you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So the first part of the poem is telling us how not to live and what it's going to cost us if we sell out and live that way. And then the poet shifts gears. So, friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. And then further down, he gives us an interesting and I think memorable picture of what it looks like to live this way. Swear allegiance to what is nighest to your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. Do the unexpected. Live against the stream of society. Surprise those nearest you. Practice resurrection. And practicing resurrection in the world is what our ECC touchstone of presence is all about. 
In Genesis chapter 12, Abram and Sarai, who have no children, are promised many descendants. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Our good news this morning is going to come from the words that God spoke to Abram in that passage, which find their fulfillment in the coming life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that is this. In Christ, we are blessed to be a blessing. In Christ, you and I are blessed to be a blessing. We are the conduit through which God now blesses the world. When we talk about our ECC touchstone of presence, we mean that we are sent and that we send others. We are sent into the world as agents of change and redemption. For this is what happened to Abram and Sarai. God sent them into the world for a purpose that culminates ultimately in the coming of Jesus. And through him, too, we are blessed to be a blessing. Last week, in our look at Galatians 2, verses 19 to 20, we said that to identify with Christ in his crucifixion and his resurrection means that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. That, that is, we don't do the work of transformation on our own. We have Christ within us living in us and for us. Paul builds on this idea in the book we're in this morning, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 3, verse 18, where he writes... And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we contemplate, as we behold God's glory, as we give God our attention, our devotion, and our allegiance, we are transformed into His image from one degree to another. A bit further on, same letter, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us this all-suppressing power is from God and not from us. As we are more and more transformed, it becomes clear to us that all that is good and beautiful, true about us is the Lord's doing. His life lived in us and through us into the world. We have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels. Several times before we get to chapter 5, where our passage is this morning, Paul, once again, is defending himself and his ministry. You can hear it in the verses just prior to what uh, Megan read a few minutes ago. Verse 11. Since then we know that what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. You can just hear the tension. Some are attacking Paul's character and that of his traveling companions. Some are even saying that Paul is out of his mind. He's crazy. And Paul says, if I'm out of my mind, if we're out of our minds, if we're crazy, we're crazy for God. And then Paul goes on to give them the why of all this, his motivation for doing what he is doing and why we should do so too. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. And this ties back nicely to Ephesians, I mean to Galatians 2 verses 19 and 20 that we looked at last week. The goal of Christ's death and resurrection is that all people should no longer live for themselves, but should live for Christ. 
And then once this initial step toward transformation happens, Paul will go on to say, we change. We change. We become something other. We become something better than what we were. We become a better version of ourselves. Or as Dallas Willard would say, we apprentice ourselves to Jesus. We attach ourselves to Jesus. And by doing that, we now live our lives as Jesus would live our lives if he were us. You live your life as Jesus would live your life, whatever it is you do, but you do it as he would do it if he were you. Christ lives in us, Paul said last week. Now we find out that Christ also lives through us into the world. Verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And with that, Paul gives us the first of three of at least three solid steps toward becoming Christ's presence in the world, taking the blessing that we have been given in Christ and allowing those blessings to flow through us and out into the world for God's purposes, for the purposes of change and redemption. Because we have become a community who knows God, a community of people who, is learning to, who are learning to follow Jesus and to pursue God's purpose in the world, we are present to the world. We bless the world in these three ways. First, we are present to the world in how we see the world, our neighbors, and our enemies. We are present to the world in how we see the world, our neighbors, and our enemies. It's about, we now, we now see things differently than we did before. Verse 16 says again, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We now have eyes that enable us to see something that is truer than what our worldly, fleshly eyes tell us. All people all people are valued and loved by God. All people are made in God's image. They do not have to earn God's love, and they should not have to earn our love either. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, an apostle, a Jewish man, learns to see Cornelius, a Gentile, in a different way. He once regarded Cornelius as an outsider, as someone to be excluded. He regarded him in a worldly way, but now he sees him differently. In Acts 10 verses 34 and 35, Peter tells us what he has learned. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. True, for Peter it took a vision three times for him to get it, and he still made mistakes along the way, but it took a vision three times, but eventually he got it. The question is, what will it take for you and I to no longer look at everyone we see in a worldly way? What do we have to do? How do we have to... What's it going to take for us to begin to see with new eyes? To see the people we are more ready to avoid or to badmouth and to pray for or to learn to love differently. So first, we are able to be a blessing to the world, to be present in the world with the love of God in Christ because we are now able to see others differently. We have to choose to do that, but we are able to. Second, we are present to the world in what we bring. We are present to the world in what we bring. What do we bring? We bring the future to the world. We bring resurrection. We bring new creation because we have come to Christ, Paul says. We are now a part of God's new creation. 
So verse 17 can actually be translated a couple of ways. Both are true. You heard in the version that Megan read, if any, it could read, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Or it could read, as the newer NIV puts it, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new is here, the old is gone. That's, once we come to faith in Christ, that means that God's future remaking of the heavens and the earth has already begun to roll back toward us like that red carpet that I mentioned last week. And we can begin to walk on that carpet toward the future and enjoy the realities of that future even now and bring them into the present. We walk as transformed and ever-transforming people. We can begin to practice resurrection, to live our lives as we will live our lives in God's new creation. And so we are now more than we were before. We are actually a part of God's new creation. We are being remade day by day. And we bring that new creation into the present way ahead of schedule. What will be revealed finally and fully one day is now present to the current age in and through us. In fits and snatches and imperfectly, to be sure. But it is still growing. It is still transforming the world even now. The new creation reaches back from the future. It transforms us. It draws us forward in the same way that knowing Christmas is coming draws a child or the child in any of us forward and begins to transform the way we live our lives as we get nearer and nearer to the actual celebration. Back in Cleveland, I had a neighbor who loved to decorate his yard, and he went all out for Halloween And then he always seemed to leave his Halloween decorations up way past October 31st. And he always seemed to put his Christmas decorations up way ahead of schedule. So much so, I kid you not, that one year in particular, they overlapped. So, on my way to church one morning, I look at my neighbor's yard, and there are um, goblins and ghouls and zombie arms and legs coming out of the ground and monsters' heads impaled on sticks. And over here is this plastic lit up Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in the manger. The coming celebration of Christmas reaches back and begins to transform my neighbor's front yard even while the Halloween decorations are still up. In the same way, knowing that Christmas is coming, for most of us, knowing that Christmas is coming can cause our minds and hearts to look forward to the celebrations, to plan special events, to go see special shows, to watch Elf for the 13th time. To eat foods we don't eat the rest of the year. My kids and I, if I'm honest, always look forward to the day that Christmas eggnog shows up on the shelves in the grocery store. Christmas is in the future, but it rolls back toward us like a red carpet. It begins to transform the way we live. So too, the new creation God will one day bring fully into being is reaching back. It washes over us and it And it has the power to transform us and to transform our relationships and our way of living in the world. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. And the blessing of transformation in us can then become a blessing to the world in which we live. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are present to the world and how we see it and what we bring to it. The new creation. Third, we are present to the world in what we do. We are present to the world in what we do. 
Verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so what is it we do? We go out into the world as ministers of reconciliation, and we proclaim the message of reconciliation. We live out and proclaim that God in Christ does not count people's sins against them. I want you to think about that. Think about the people you know, family members, neighbors, friends, who do not yet know Christ, and ask yourself, what picture of God do they most often have? Is it a picture of God like Zeus, waiting with a frown on his face to hurl a lightning bolt down upon this person the minute they blow it, the minute they sin? Or is it a picture of the God who does not count their sins against them? I mean, think about the difference that would make. Rather, by his death and resurrection, Christ has reconciled and is reconciling the world to himself. This is our message. This is our way of life. This is the way we interact with people. We are sent out as agents of change and redemption, as those who have been blessed in order to be a blessing. Paul calls us ambassadors. Ambassadors. Those who represent God before the world, as though God were making his appeal through us, which he is. In this way, we are present to God and we are present to others in the ministry of reconciliation. We bring mercy, we bring justice, we bring love, we bring a kingdom way of life, and we bring the message of salvation by grace through faith. In order to do all this, of course, Paul says to his readers, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And perhaps there are some here, some online, for whom that is the most important thing you need to hear this morning. If you have not already taken the step of faith to come to know God in Christ, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Everything you need in order to do so has already been done for you. All you have to do is respond in faith. All you have to do is begin Paul finishes off this section with a bold and profound summary statement about the mission and ministry of Jesus, which is to inform and shape our mission as well. Verse 21, he writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can get so used to these phrases, these biblical phrases, these religious phrases, that we forget to think about what they mean. Through what Christ has done for us on the cross, risen from the dead, we can become the righteousness of God. That is, we can both have the righteousness of God given to us, and we can be the righteousness of God. We can image forth the righteousness of God in the world and for the world. The the image of God that was stamped upon us from the very beginning is now restored in Christ so that we may once more be God's image, God's icons, we may mirror forth the goodness and the beauty and the truth of God for the world. And so in this passage, we have two subtle references back to the creation story. We, in Genesis 127, we're told, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Hebrew word for 
the image that we become is Selim, T-S-E-L-E-M, Selim. Dan White, in his, the book we're going to be reading this fall, Love Over Fear, says this about the power of the Selim, the image of God within us. He says, Despite our brokenness and proneness to wander from living in the love of God, we have a deeper goodness that cannot be obliterated. Our actions may not look like God, but our very essence holds the Selim, the image of God. This is the deeper truth we look for, we search for, we gain eyes for in others. Beyond the surface of behaviors, we look for God in the soul of another. Is it harder to see in some more than others? Of course. But not only did Jesus come to show us what God looks like, he also came to show us how to look at people. Since humanity is created in the image of God, a human being is a microcosm of the divine. A human being is a microcosm of the divine. That should change the way you see every single person in your life or on your social feed. We are made in the image of God, which sin and brokenness have tarnished, but not obliterated. In Christ, that image is being restored with ever-increasing glory, and in Christ... We can now see others if we choose to do so. Not from a worldly point of view, but from a point of view that sees them as made in God's image, first and foremost, which is the truest thing about them. It's the truest thing about them. And because of that, we have the strength to take the blessing we have received and to bestow it on others and upon the world in which we live. Back in Genesis 12, Abram, who had no children and who later became known as Abraham, the father, a name which means the father of many nations, Abram was called to go forth into the world. In doing so, God promised to bless him, to give him many descendants, through whom God would then bless the world. As I said earlier, that mission reaches its culmination in the coming of Jesus. In his book, A Mission for God's People, Christopher J.H. Wright says it this way, quote, When God set about his great project of world redemption in the wake of Genesis 12, he chose to do so not by whisking individuals off up to heaven, but by calling into existence a community of blessing. Starting with one man and his barren wife, then miraculously transforming them into a large family within several generations, then into a nation called Israel, and then, through Christ, into a multinational community of believers from every nation. All through the story, God has been molding a people for himself, but also a people for others. All through the biblical story, God has been molding a people for himself, but also a people for others. In Christ, we have been blessed to be a blessing. We've been blessed to be a people for others. How shall we respond to this good news? First, I invite you to pray for your neighbors, the ones who live close to you, the ones who work with you, what have you go to school with you. Again, I want to draw your attention to the website, blesseveryhome.com. There's a link in the Bible app and at ecclife.net slash connect. Sign up to be reminded to pray for your neighbors by name. You don't have to look up all your neighbors. It'll tell you who your neighbors are. It's quite fascinating and a little disturbing that all that information is out there, but it will. And you can decide how often you want to be reminded to pray for them. Once a week, seven days a week, whatever. Or perhaps you can just go for a prayer walk in your neighborhood 
Pray for the people you see. Pray for the people who are in their homes, those you do not know, those you know. Pray God's blessing on them, however God wants to bless them. Pray that he would make a way for you to have some interaction with this person, that you might be a blessing to them, and thus draw their attention to God. Finally, if you've not yet been reconciled to God, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Take a step of faith this day and begin your own journey to become a part of a community of people who know God, follow Jesus, and pursue God's purposes in the world. And we do this through welcome, transformation, and presence. So if that's you, if you're one who has not yet taken that step of faith, I'm going to ask you to do two things with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer uh, after me as I pray it in just a moment, and I'm going to ask you to let us know you prayed the prayer. You can say so on the communication card. You can send us a direct message. You can call the church, whatever works. We'd love to connect with you. So as we close in prayer, if that applies to you, if you've never taken this step, if you've never been reconciled to God and you want to, you know that now is the time I invite you to pray along with me. Just repeat after me as I pray. Let's go together to the Lord in prayer. God, this day I desire your forgiveness and mercy. I need your grace and peace to reign in my life and relationships. I confess my sin and selfishness to you. I confess that I cannot do this on my own. And I ask that you grant me your grace and peace. And that you teach me how to live as you lived. I choose daily to surrender myself to you, though I know I will not do so perfectly. I choose daily to rely on your grace to forgive me, to heal me, and to transform me. In Christ's name. And God, I now lift up the rest of us who are taking part in this worship service. Lord, wherever it is that we are on this journey of being transformed, I pray that you would increase in us the hunger and the desire to travel that road freely and faithfully and boldly. And that you would, first of all, make us aware, O oh God, of the role that we play in your great redemption plan to be those through whom you mirror forth your goodness, your beauty, your truth into the world. Help us, Lord God, to see others, Lord God, from a different point of view, from your point of view. Help us, O oh God, to be aware that in our relationship with you, we bring new creation into being. And help us to be, Lord, messengers of reconciliation, proclaimers of your good news. And I pray, O oh God, that in and through these things, you would expand, Lord God, uh, your kingdom people. Expand our hearts and expand us in numbers, O oh God, that we could grow to be the kind of community you know and want us to become. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.